0: Hello and Shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amaw, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, where at this point and moment in time, in our little corner of Louisiana, it is currently 27 degrees. Now, for those of you listening around the country or other places, you might think, well, like, so what? It's minus 12 or 15 here or whatever. But this is southwest Louisiana. And uh, if, if, if I were on video, I could send you some pictures or whatever, show you some pictures. Um, the roads are iced. There is there's ice everywhere, snow and different things that we're just not really accustomed to seeing. I think tonight it's supposed to be in like like 12 degrees or something insane like that. It's 12 degrees in southwest Louisiana, uh, but global warming, right? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, so, hey, yeah, it's great to have everybody with us um, while I whine about how cold it is. I actually love the cold weather. I think this is awesome, and uh, but hey, welcome everybody! <laughs> I'll get off the weather for a little bit, and uh, I'm so excited to have everybody here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of um, of Image Bearers Radio. Uh, if it's your first time listening, then uh, welcome to the the family, welcome to the the group, and I hope that um, you find some uh, something interesting here that we're talking about. This podcast is all about, um, like the name says, it's about bearing God's image and. Um, you know about about expressing him in the world, his character, his personality, um you know his presence, and so uh, we're talking about the Bible in different ways and asking different questions. Um, hopefully, in order to get better answers and uh, so uh, just welcome to the journey i 'm so so glad that you 're here if you 're a long time listener or you 've been listening for a little while at least, um, I just want to say thank you for for joining in and for being a part of the the family. We love you guys so very very much and are so thankful for our online family uh, that that the father has allowed us to have if um, you don 't already if you don 't know we have a, a, a live stream our uh, weekly Shabbat services you know, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, we live stream our services, and uh, if you're looking for fellowship somewhere, you're you're you know don't have a group to meet with, or maybe you do, uh, and they meet at a different time, and you're just looking for somewhere else to spend some time on Shabbat. We would really love to have you uh, just come and pop in. You can follow us on our website uh, at outofashesministries.org. dot org. Uh, Also, we simulcast to Facebook and YouTube um, every week, so. Yeah. Hey, come pop in and say Shabbat Shalom and uh, let us know where you're where you're watching from and stuff and be would be really, really awesome to to have you and to get to know you. The um, the fellowship is growing. The ministry is growing. It's awesome what Hashem is doing, uh, bringing people you know closer to him. And uh, and so it's, it's awesome. So we really appreciate you. you got a lot of lot to be thankful for. And all this time of chaos and all this uh, nonsense that's going on in our world, we have a lot to be thankful for. And to be grateful to, to the Father for. So uh, we are definitely grateful for you guys. So uh, in this week's episode, we are going to kind of sort of continue the, the theme that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, last couple of weeks, we were in Jeremiah. And we were talking about uh, building gardens and vineyards and being in exile and, and bringing kingdom in exile, basically. And so I want to kind of stay on that theme a little bit. And we're going to go to a couple of different passages in scripture today and and talk about how we can bear God's image uh, in less than ideal circumstances and, uh, and see what that looked like in the life of Israel and uh, just to see kind of maybe how God thinks about these things. So let's go to the Father in prayer and then we will jump into this week's episode. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this incredible opportunity. I pray your richest blessings on every single person listening and Father, I pray that as we ask questions of you and and study your word, Father, that you would show us how to represent you better in whatever place we find ourselves. welcome back everybody so uh, this week I want to kind of continue like I said on the, the thread we've been on in Jeremiah um, talking about God's people being in, a, in less than ideal circumstances right we could say in in, in Jeremiah of course they were in exile and um, how just you know they were they were so distraught in this this land of chaos this land of lawlessness, this land of idolatry and they are people of the covenant. And so we read Jeremiah uh, 29, particularly the last couple of weeks, and how Hashem just says, I love the way that the particular translation that I read from was the NIV, uh, NIV background, cultural background study Bible, which is a phenomenal uh, resource. Um, But God actually says in the translation, the English translation actually says, settle down. Right. And so as a Southerner, um, I think of that in a couple of ways, of course, settle down, like, you know, live make a house, you know, build plant gardens and, and all those kinds of things. But, you know, we, we also Southerners like to say, hey, you know, like settle down when somebody, kids getting too, you know, getting too crazy or, or you know, they're being rambunctious or, or if somebody's getting, um, you know, getting heated in a discussion or they're upset for some reason, or whatever, you know, hey, settle down, settle down now. Let's get, let's get some, some logic and some clear thinking in our heads. And and I, I like to read that part into it as well. I don't think that's all what the phrase settle down there means. I think it means put down roots. You know, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, make it make your make your home there. But thinking in it kind of in this colloquial sense also, it really it really speaks to me a lot in the sense that um, in this last you know, several months we've been in the last year almost with COVID and and uh, but even thinking about before this. Um, you know, let's think about pre for those of us who, you know, voted for President Trump, uh, consider ourselves conservatives or Republicans or libertarians, wherever, wherever you fall on the spectrum. When let's just say for anyone listening, whenever your particular political um, party or, or ideology is in charge, everything seems cool, like everything's good. Um, everything's right. You feel like you can function, you can live like there's hope, et cetera, et cetera. But then when when the opposing uh, opinion is in control, then all of a sudden it seems like chaos, and I think it's important for us to realize that very single thing. That yes, there is a difference between right and wrong, a- absolutely, um, but the way we judge that, especially like in American politics, but not only in America, I think we see it all over the world. Um, that when your ideology is is not the one that is in the forefront and in control, then it seems like the world is falling apart, right? And it's it's the end of the world as we know it. To quote a great. 90s rock song. Um, But this this way that we think about um, in this time that we're in, this chaoticness, this uh, everybody's lives is upended because of schools and because of jobs and because of um, possibly, God forbid, the the death of loved ones uh, and all these all these different things. Um, And then in the south here, we had the hurricanes. And then now we have ice storms all over the country. The weather's all out of whack and it seems really janky. Um, And it just seems like all this chaos. Right. And and our reaction to that, I think our reactions to things are more important than the things that are actually happening. Um, most of, you know, I mean, you've lived life, you've experienced this life is going to be full of ups and downs, turns and twists, and, um, you're going to go into work thinking it's going to be the best day ever. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, your coworkers or your boss or something happens, a client calls or whatever, and it completely turns the day upside down. Um, those things are going to happen. If any of us think that they're not going to happen, then we're, we're sorely misinformed. Um, and we're naive to a point, I think, but those things are going to happen. Life is going to always throw a curveball. And so our reaction to those things, it's what's really important, not the things themselves, because it could be great one minute, it could be awful the next minute, then it could be great again. And, and so many of us, self-included, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, we, we live in a reactionary state and, um, and many times our reactions actually tell us how to feel about something. So if you're driving down the road and you're on your, you know, you're on your way on a trip or, you know, you've got all your kids in the vehicle and everything's packed up and you've been working for days to get ready for this trip, you're on the road and about two hours into your journey, you blow a tire. Well, how, how you, that's, that's awful, right? That stinks. Nobody wants that to happen. That's terrible. Um, and so you pull off the side of the road. I'll just tell you from my, my own self, my reaction would be to be aggravated, mad, disappointed You know frustrated anxious whatever all this kind of stuff and it would cause me to react a certain way But the longer that I actually continue in that reaction the worse my emotions actually get so it's like a self-feeding cycle if that makes sense at all where we can actually Change the way our, our emotions react by changing the way that we choose to act changing our mind and changing the way we choose to act so All of that kind of like psychology lesson, right just to say that when when Hashem is speaking to the Israelites in exile and when, when he's speaking through Jeremiah and Jeremiah writes this letter from Jerusalem to the exiles in Babylon uh, in chapter 29 um, to say settle down to me speaks of this idea like get your head right. OK, get your get your head right. You, you guys are looking for this immediate hope and this immediate release. And that's, of course, what we all want. Right. We all we all want Mashiach to come and like make everything cool. Um, But we have to get our head in the game and we have to make sure that we're thinking clearly. And if our hope is always in tomorrow, then what are we doing to make today heaven on earth? I'll say that again. If our hope is always in tomorrow, what's to come tomorrow? Then what are we doing today to make today heaven on earth? And just like we've talked about, um, you know, being being so focused on quote-unquote changing the world that we forget about the person in line with us at the grocery store. We, we, we forget about our own families or our own community food bank or our own whatever. And, and in, in, in having such a focus on being a world changer, we forget that we have a world that Hashem has given us. It's right here. It's right here next to us. It's close to us, but it's ordinary. And it's, it's the things that we, we maybe sometimes take for granted. I, I worked for a boss one time that— had several good sayings. One of his great sayings was don't let the tail wag the dog. I love that. I love that saying. Um, Another saying he always had was, you know, just repeating an older, an older kind of, you know, anecdote or proverb um, that familiarity breeds contempt. And so in thinking about like our world and the, the chaoticness of it all and where we are today and what's going on and what's happening, are we so worried about changing the world are we so worried about changing our state? Are we so worried about changing our nation that that the, the things that are ne- right next to us, our children, our spouses, uh, our coworkers, our neighbors, uh, our, our extended family, uh, those of us we are in fellowship with and community with, have those things become contemptuous to us that we're, we're not we're not really engaged in, in changing them or helping them or walking with them and loving them because we're so focused on other things is the is our is our, our our drive and our agenda to change the world, does it affect our personal relationships in a negative way? And so this this idea that that Hashem tells you know tells them to to settle down, I take it as a as a like, get your head right. Let's get our head straight. And and let's let's make the best of what we have. Let's let's do what we can do where we are. So, in kind of that same line of thought, um, these last two parshot, these last two Torah portions, have been, of course, they're amazing, right? I mean, last week in uh, in Yitro we get the ten words, and uh, I mean it's just a a power packed, right? It's one of the. It's one of the big parsha, you know, parshot that everybody knows, and and, uh, and passage of scripture. If you don't know what a torah portion is, you know that passage of scripture, Exodus twenty, where you get the ten words. Um, Exodus nineteen, we'll read some of that in a little bit, um, and then we have this uh, this last week's that was two weeks ago. This last week's parsha, which is mishpatim, which is ordinances or judgments or you know um, sentences could also be. And so I want to just talk a little bit about those those two parshot. This this um, this episode, and and talk about how that applies to us and how we can think about um, some of these things that we've talked about in in Jeremiah. So, if we go back to um, to Shemot nineteen to Exodus nineteen, uh, we have this amazing, amazing um, narrative about about what what's going to happen and, and about what happens before the giving of the Ten Commandments. So, in uh, in in chapter nineteen, uh, in verse. Uh, What is this? Uh, Verse nine. Uh, Hashem said to Moshe, prepare the people and consecrate them, right? Wash their garments and be ready for the third day. Um, And on the third day, Hashem will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall, uh, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moshe went and he, he did. Uh, and then verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So, you know, let's just kind of try as much as we can to put ourselves in Israel's position, Right. You're you're still slaves at this point, as far as you know. You're you're in this. You know you've been slaves for generations, and, and that's not something that's easy to overcome. The mentality, the 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 understanding, the self awareness, and so you're standing before this mountain, and Moshe, your leader, uh, who who really is kind of your king at this point, uh, your deliverer, right, your redeemer. He 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 comes and tells you to prepare, and then and you wait three days. And while you're preparing and, and you're just waiting and you're sitting looking at this mountain and then all of a sudden there's, there's a storm on the top of the mountain. There's thunder and there are lightnings and there's a sound of a, a trumpet blast. And the sound of the trumpet blast is so loud that it makes the people tremble. Now, you know, there's a lot of debate on what, where Mount Sinai actually is, the historical site and, and all that, et cetera. But these are not like the Rocky mountains, right? They're, they're not so high up. That's like in the clouds probably. But it's hard. I mean I, I blow shofar. Um it's hard to get the shofar loud enough in a a small building like is our fellowship building to make people tremble, right? I mean it's loud, it might be piercing, it might be you know, and you know well there's a frequency thing there and they, yeah, there absolutely is. Um but the shofar sound was so loud that the people trembled. Were they a mile away from the top of the mountain? Were they three miles away from the top of the mountain? I don't know. But it was so loud that they caused them to tremble, right? And and so it says that uh, Moshe brought the people out of the camp. They're in the camp still to meet with God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Hashem had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled. Verse 19. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moshe spoke and Hashem Elohim answered him in thunder. And Hashem came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And Hashem called Moshe to the top of the mountain and Moshe went up. So you have the people and they're they're still in the camp. And you have this thunder and lightning and shofar and they're trembling while they're in the camp. So Moshe goes, it's okay, come on, let's go to the mountain. So they come up to the mountain. And and it's wrapped in smoke. Like, imagine the, the terrifying nature of this stuff. Like, yeah, we know it was God, and God is good, and we get all that stuff. But just imagine for a moment, being there, you would be absolutely petrified. You would be terrified beyond your wits end. And so, this whole, th- and then it says that the shofar, the sound of the trumpet, got louder and louder. Verse 19, the sound of the trumpet, louder and louder. And Moshe spoke, and Hashem answered him in thunder. What? That's insane, right? And so, and then it says that Hashem came down into the top of the mountain, and he calls Moses up, and Moshe went. So, like, Moshe, yes, we know that Moshe was the one, you know, with the staff, and Moshe was the one that led the children of Israel out. Moshe was the one that, you know, seemingly did the, quote unquote, did the miracles. Hashem did them, but Moshe is kind of the conduit for the miracles. And, and, and he's the one leading the people. And he's a, you know, he's a, an incredible leader and, and teacher and, and all of these things. And, and, but the people throughout the journey, even until Moshe's death, doubt his leadership, right? The people continually, doubt whether like he is, he the guy like, what are we doing? Shouldn't we go back? Does he really know what's going on? Like he, has he brought us out here to kill us? Right? All these things. And they doubt Moshe's legitimacy. Let me tell you something. If your pastor ever, if if, if your pastor ever walked up a mountain where there's thunder and lightning and the sound of a horn. So, so violently loud that it causes your physical body to tremble. And, and he just walked up into that thing. Holy smokes, I don't know what kind of, what more legitimacy Moshe needs than to walk up in, he speaks and is answered by thunder, and then he, he walks up into this, this cloud, into the mountain. It's just, it's un, unbelievable. Um, and, and so it goes on to, to say that, you know, Hashem sends him back down to warn the people, etc. etc. And And, you know, it talks about the fact that the people saw, they saw the the sounds. I don't know how that works, but the word is re. They saw. They saw the sound. They saw the 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 voice. The sounds. And I, again, I don't know how that works, but this is a full sensory overload. Right. This is this is as 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 miraculous and and otherworldly, spiritual, if you want to say as as anything that we've read so far in in uh, in the Torah. And so. Um, God in, in chapter 20 in Shemot 20, um, Elohim spoke these words saying, I am Hashem, your God, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And he goes and he gives them the 10, um, the 10 words or the 10 commandments in verse 18. Here's the verse I was talking about. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, right? Yeah. And the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, so you can see thunder and lightning and you can see smoking, how do you see the sound of a trumpet again? I don't know. I don't know how it works. I just think it's cool that the Hebrew says it that way. Um, and it says the people uh, were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off. They're backing away as Moses goes forward. You ever played that game in school where like, you know, they go like who, who's, you know, somebody volunteer and, and nobody steps forward. So everybody takes a step back and there's the one person left out. <laughs> you know, like we've, vol- we volunteered you. You're welcome. Um, and so they were afraid and tremble when they stood afar off and said to Moshe, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not that Elohim speak to us lest we die. So Moshe said to the people, do not fear for Elohim has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moshe drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Again, he goes back like it's how insane is this, right? So the reason why I really want to press the, the magnitude of what's going on here is because th- this, depending on what um, tradition you were raised in or you're a part of in, in Christianity, depending on that tradition, um, this could be the type of experiences that you live for, that you look for, that you, that you desire above all else. Um, our whole, in Christianity, even the, even modern, I say modern, um, as of probably the, the 90s, uh, at least that's when I first started to recognize it. I was old enough to recognize it. But even our songs, and as my good teacher, Joe Good says, songs don't make good doctrine. So we have to be mindful of that. But even our, our music and the way we, the way we talk about God and the way we talk about faith, life, and experiences kind of emulates and models this expectation that, um, you know um, that I, you know, one better is one day in your courts, right, than thousands elsewhere. Um, and and you know, to be in His presence, to be in His glory, to be in His, you know, want to sit in His lap, you know, and all these, all these kinds of these phrases and words and songs and stuff that we use. And that one, that seems to be our expectation. Like if it could just be, we call it mountaintop experiences, right? If it could just be that, if I could feel the spirit of God moving all the time and we want these high points, we want these, we want the high points to be the everyday, right? We, we, these are the things that we're kind of bent to again, depending on what tradition you come from. Not everybody is the same and not everybody was raised the same way. And I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks from just friends and different religious circles that would find this. Uh, highly, highly uncomfortable, right? (laughs) This idea, but, but from a a spirit filled charismatic kind of Pentecostal, whatever, you know, kind of backgrounds you want to talk about this, this seems to be the, our expectation, the miraculous hearing God's voice at every, every turn at every moment, uh, experiencing the miraculous, experiencing heaven at every moment. And these these wonderful, miraculous types of lifestyles that we that we tend to want to experience all the time. And and we'll continue talking about this in the next segment. But just before we, we go there, let me just put a fine point on this. That these people that did experience these things, they weren't like, oh yes, this is real faith and life with God. They didn't they didn't celebrate it. They were terrified. They were terrified. If we remember uh, uh, Isaiah, right, comes and he finds himself in the temple, and and the the angel takes a coal to his lips, right? Isaiah was terrified that he was there because he knew he shouldn't be there. We'll talk about this more after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So I left off last uh, segment talking about uh, Isaiah, right? He's, he's, he wakes up in a vision and he's in, in Kodesh HaKodeshim. He's, or he's in the temple at least, right? He's in the temple and, and he's, he's scared to death, right? He's, I mean, we want visions and we want dreams and we want, like, these are the things that a lot of, a lot of us as Christians, we long for. Like that's real, that's really connected with God when you're, when you're prophesying and seeing visions, like that's how you know you're really connected. And yet every time those things happen in scripture, the people they're happening to, it's not a celebration. It's not like, whoa, this is where it, they're, they're terrified. And, and And I just think that's, it's a really fine point that needs to be put on this. That, that those experiences speak of a, a, a closeness with God that is very uncomfortable, that, and and should be, rightly so. The closer we get to Hashem, the more uncomfortable we should be. In Isaiah's particular case, and in the people at, at Sinai, they, they are told to, to go and wash, prepare yourselves, because you don't approach Hashem just any way you are. I know that's what we've been taught, but, but that's biblically inaccurate. You don't just come however, it come just as you are, right? You don't just come as you are. There is a protocol to approaching any king. But, and, and so how much more the sovereign of the universe? And then these people, though they were slaves, they understand royalty. No, no Israeli slave, Israelite slave would have just bust up in Pharaoh's castle like, hey, yo, I'm here for a cup of tea. Like they, they, they just wouldn't do it. Not not only were they not able to, obviously, but from a protocol standpoint, they just it just wouldn't. You don't you don't just walk up into the in the Buckingham Palace into, you know, you don't just go up in there like, hey, what's up? You know, let's let's sit out and hang for a while. There's a certain protocol that comes with with interacting with royalty. Uh, Rico Cortez talks about it as uh, encroaching, right, encroaching on sacred space. Even in our own, we had a, a, a riotous mob, you know, that or whatever that whatever happened on January 6th, um, where where people stormed the, the Capitol building. And it, if you listen to the news and stuff, it's really interesting how we talk about that. We talk about the sacred halls of Congress, right? And this is not a discussion about what happened on January 6th, I'm, I'm using it as an illustration the sacred halls of Congress, right? That there are some places. That even though it's quote unquote the people's house, there are some places that people are not allowed in that quote unquote public space because it's a matter of respect and it's a matter of, of, um, of, of posture and it's a matter of, 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 of sacredness in a sense, in, in our sense. In your own home, and we've talked about this before, we talked about it with Rico a month or so ago. In your own home, there's places where you and your spouse, you, 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 the whole home is yours, right? But if a, a friend comes over, they can hang out in the living room. They can, you know, whatever. Like, that's cool. You use the restroom, whatever. But they're probably not going, like, hang out. They're not going to jump in your bed and you and your wife or you're in your husband's bedroom. They're not going to jump in your bed and turn on the TV, you know, kick their shoes off and whatever. Why? Because there's a, there's a sacredness to that. And so the Israelites understand that when they're dealing with Mount Sinai. Isaiah understands that in the, in the, the, the uh, context of the temple. Because really and honestly, the Mount Sinai and the, the Beit HaMikdash are, are both sacred space and, and they, they understand that world. And so, but we don't. We, we're disconnected from that. And we go like, I sing, I sing a, 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 the song that I love. I love it's been so meaningful for me, for me during worship all the time. If I could just sit with you a while, if you could just hold me, Right. Um, Nothing can touch me, though I'm wounded, though I die. If I could just sit with you a while, I need you to hold me moment by moment until forever passes by. And that's really comforting. It's a beautiful song for us. But in all honesty, that's really not biblical. (laughs) It pains me to say that because, you know, again, I love the song and I love the idea. And again, it's been very comforting and healing. We like to think of God as father, right? As Abba. And yet we can get so close that we forget that He's sovereign of the universe. So, just a point on on that. And I've I've gone on too long about that, but let's go right after. Really, chapter twenty one is is where it starts. Um, let's go to chapter twenty one of Shemot. We'll do it there. So, what do you have in chapter twenty? You have this incredible spiritual, like super phenomenal, you know all senses engaged, overwhelming, scary as heck type of encounter with God. And then chapter 21 happens. And what does the beginning of chapter 21 say? Now, if there were no chapter markers here, I think it would be a lot more startling to us, but we mentally make a break when we see a chapter marker like, oh, we're moving on to something else. But if there were no chapter markers, just imagine how this reads. The people are terrified. They tell Moshe, like, you go and speak to him, but don't like, and they see the sound of the shofar, all this kind of stuff. There's just unbelievable stuff. And then verse one of chapter 21 says, now these are the rules or the Mishpatim, the judgments, the ordinances that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, just wait, what? (laughs) We just, we just came from this. We just came from this like overwhelming, it, it physically, uh, it, it it had a physical manifestation on them. They trembled. I mean, it was overwhelming. I could think about like the, the wind being knocked out of them, right? They, they the oxygen being sucked out of the, out of, you know, out of the, the camp, and and you have this this experience that they're probably still reeling from, right? They're they're still just like, what in the world is going on? What just happened? And then God says, "So listen, when you buy a Hebrew slave." Does anybody else find that odd that transition? And I'm not the only one. There's uh, uh, Rabbi um, uh, Moshe Kempinski of the Shorshim Shop in uh, the Old City of Jerusalem. Uh, last week, did some some wonderful teachings on this this idea, this stark turn between this seemingly like hyper supernatural thing, and then all of a sudden bringing it down to like okay, everyday life, right? <laughs> And the reason why I think this links really well with, with Jeremiah and what we've been talking about is what what good, I, I want to be careful how I say this, not to be disrespectful, but what good is Mount Sinai and what good is the thunder and lightning and Hashem descending on top of the mountain? What good is the burning bush? What, what good is Eden? What good is Kodesh HaKodeshim and the Holy of Holies, right, in Habayit? What, what good are these things if they are not translated into everyday life? If there's not a link between the supernatural or the spiritual and, and usefulness and application in everyday life, then what's the point? What, what good is it? Um, I know in my own personal experience, just so that none of you think that I'm like anti-spirit you know, filled movements and all that kind of stuff, um, I spent the better part of 20 years in spirit filled movements. And some of the best times and growth in my life and, and my faith were in, in, those, in those places and with those people. I've laid, I don't know, whatever you think about being slain in the spirit, I don't, I don't care what you think about it. I'm not being, I'm just saying, I've experienced those things. Um, not often, not like every week like some people do. And that's cool. I'm not passionate, I'm throwing shade. I'm not asking you to throw judgment on me. I'm just saying that I've laid in the altar for hours, unconscious absolutely no idea um didn't know it was hours that had passed and then woke up and it was like what in the world just happened right we've i've, I've had those experiences some of you have had those experiences where you cry maybe for hours inconsolably uh, maybe you laugh for a time. you know we had those we have these experiences uh, maybe you've given been given a, a, an incredible word or, or you know our, uh, prophecy type a vision or something and it's just like you you get out of that experience you think like, what in the world was that about that was just something I've never experienced before. And those things are real. And I believe in those. I've experienced those things. But if those things don't translate into a change in me or into uh, if I can't manifest that thing into, into everyday living. And I don't use that word manifest like all oh, spooky. I mean, if I can't apply those things and, and change me or change, the, change my world in a different sense for, for the, from those experiences, then what good are they? Um, you know there are times of worship that are that are only for Hashem, and you know, kind of the audience of one thing, and, we, and we're 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 honoring Him, and we're time, we're spending time connecting with Him, and and that, that is right, and yet even those times should cause an impact in our world, bringing heaven down to earth. We've talked about this at length in you know, in talking about Genesis and other other things that we've done in the last year or so, bringing heaven down. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, not in heaven as it is on earth or in heaven as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And so this really interesting change happens. And in in the context of what we've been talking about in Jeremiah, which of course is later, but the, the idea that, that, you know, you're, you're in exile, you're in a place of chaos, how do you how do you make an impact there? how do you preserve your own faith and your own life? how do you preserve your own your own fidelity to the king and to the kingdom in a place that's uncomfortable and that's not really designed for growth and not really designed for connection with the one and only true god of the universe? How do you do that? Could I propose that it's it's not the spiritual experiences that do that, but it's the really Everyday average, and I'm going to use the word that I used a lot last week: mundane things that do that. It's the it's the mundane things of life that actually bring heaven to earth. And I think this is a perfect picture between these two parts. Between these two chapters, Shemot twenty again. All of this incredible, you know like overstimulization and then chapter 21 when you buy a Hebrew slave. And then and of course it goes on from, you know, it talks about slavery and indentured servitude, and all those kinds of things. And this episode is not about that. Um, but w- then we talk about, um, you know, murder or, you know, when people strike each other and get into arguments or disagreements or, or physical altercations. Um, and, and it just, it goes on and on and on about, uh, about how to live. Like the mountaintop was the mountaintop, but this is how to live. And the narrative almost turns on a dime between that and this. And I think this is really, really important. There's a concept in, in Judaism that the Torah, one of the, one of the main reasons or, or one of the main functions of Torah is that the Torah elevates the mundane. And we talked about this a little bit last week. The Torah was given to elevate the mundane. So so if we just try to wrap our heads around that a little bit and think about what that means. What does that mean? It means that in the in the Israelite community and in, in their time when it was originally being given and being developed and, and and you know Moshe was working it out with the people and they were teaching it and all this kind of they were building the the Mishkan and all that the tabernacle. What it meant was that there was a higher Law. There was a higher level of understanding. There was a higher level of living than what they had been exposed to in Egypt as slaves or even as the Egyptian system uh, of deities and kings, etc. And pharaohs and all that. There's another there's another way there's a higher way. And that way isn't found here on the earth. It's found in heaven. But what good is it if it stays in heaven? So what Hashem does through the giving of the Torah is he brings heaven's constitution down to earth and teaches it and partners, which is a key word we've talked about a lot in this this podcast, um, in this radio show. He he partners with humanity to bring his his values, his characteristics, his kingdom constitution laws, um, and brings them down to earth by partnering with humanity. And so... What the Torah does then is, is just by its virtue of its essence of being heavenly, of being supernatural, being the highest, highest law is that it forces us to elevate everything we do. If we live by Torah or we live by Torah, the the Torah principles, then it, it, we are living heaven's constitution here on earth. We're living a higher constitution here on earth. And so what we deem as, as mundane or ordinary or not as exciting and as spiritual as visions and all these things, all these kinds of experiences, what, what we're really saying is that, well, the, the commandments of God are really not like, it's just kind of boring. You know what I mean? They're just kind of simple and ordinary and there's, there's no, but no, what we really need to think about is that by, by performing a mitzvah, by, by doing a commandment, we're actually, we're actually doing heaven. Like we, we can experience heaven maybe in a vision or a dream but when we do the commandments, we're actually doing heaven. <laughs> How incredible is that? Like, that's amazing. When, when we do the simplest thing as, as let's just, let's just take kind of Yeshua's condensation of the Torah, right? When we love our neighbor as ourself, we're doing heaven. You're, you're, you're doing the most spiritual thing that you possibly could. When you're doing something as simple as feeding someone who's hungry, clothing, someone who's naked, caring for a widow, caring for an orphan, cooking for the local soup kitchen, bringing clothes to the local you know, homeless shelter, or, or donating food to the, the, the community food bank or to your own community or congregation, whatever that looks like for you, bringing cooked food over to a neighbor who's had surgery and, and who can't, you know, can't function, what, whatever that looks, that is, uh, this may be offensive, I don't mean it to be, that is more spiritual than any vision you'll ever see. That is more spiritual than any word of prophecy, and I would argue more powerful and more pleasing to God than, than giving you any word of prophecy or any vision or, or any, any healing or any other. The, all those things are part of the package. What I'm saying is not, I'm not saying get rid of one in place of the other. I'm saying the, what we've done is we've longed for one thing over another. And yet the, the very word of Hashem, the very word of God, the Torah, the, the scriptures as we know them as a whole. When we do these things, we are living heaven. We are engaging heaven here on earth. And so the, the word of God is given to elevate in our own minds the way we should see our everyday life. We should see our everyday life not as just like, well, I got to go to work today. Well, I got to take the kids to practice. Well, I got to do this. Well, I, well, what are we eating? I don't care. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. The very mere fact that we treat food so just like, I don't know. I just don't even care. Let's just eat whatever right? Shows us that we don't understand this concept that the Torah was given to elevate the mundane. Because food, as I've said a few times, I love to quote Joe Good again here. Food is the highest form of worship. Eating, eating is the highest form of worship. We think, oh, like lights down low in a building, beautiful, like guitar and piano and, you know, kind of heavenly, you know, music playing and stuff. And, hands raised and eyes closed, tears streaming down your face. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that, but I'm saying that's what we think is worship, and it is. But we, again, not to say get rid of one and, and, and only use the other, but I'm saying what we haven't focused on is the fact that when people wanted to, quote-unquote, worship God in Tanakh, and even in Yeshua's day, what did they do? They brought food to the temple. They called it an offering. And they gave an offering, and they ate it with the priests, certain types of offerings. Or they gave it for the priests to eat. Eating every time. Look at look at all the instances where, where people are meeting with God. What are they doing? They're eating. <laughs> They're eating. And so just the fact that we we treat food so flippantly, then this gets into the dietary instructions. It absolutely has a tie there. But we really treat the idea of eating so flippantly shows that we don't understand that Torah was given to elevate the mundane. What What's more mundane than eating? Gee whiz. Especially in lockdown. If you've been in lockdown or quarantine due to covid. You've probably gotten sick of eating, <laughs> depending on your, on you know, on your diet and and all that. He's like, uh, you ever get to the point where you're just like, I just don't want to. eat. I'm tired of eating, but I'm kind of hungry, I guess. Or at least the, the clock says it's time to be hungry, so I guess I gotta eat. Uh, so I know, silly, it's stupid illustrations, but it goes to illustrate my point that that the the Torah was given to elevate the things that we do in everyday life to worship to Hashem, and and the scriptures back this up, right? In all things, right? We, in all things we do, in everything that we do, we do it as unto the Lord, as unto Hashem. We do it as unto, we, we do it with the, with, with, and we've heard this in church. You've heard it. Be the best employee you can be. Be the best student you can be. Why? Because even our ordinary, even our ordinary is worship to Hashem because we live by a higher law and a higher standard. Uh, I found this, this quote, this article, uh, that was written and it's from the website Torah.org and uh, it's written by Rabbi uh, Yisachar Frond and um, I may have read this last week I'm not sure um, but it's good to, to read it again he, he writes in his article talking about this very this very thing about the Torah elevating um, you know the mundane he says the Torah tells us that when women donated their mirrors to the Mishkan building fund and the mirrors were used to make the base of the Kior or the Laver Rashi quotes Hazal that initially Moshe was hesitant to take this donation because he felt that the tools were, or the mirrors were, a tool of the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. Um, it goes on a little bit and it it talks about how in in Mitzrayim the the men did not want to engage in the act of procreation because they felt like, what's the point? We're slaves. Why like, why bring children to this world? I think we did talk about this last week. Now that I'm I'm reading it again, but I, the the idea that something as ordinary and simple as A mirror, something that you, what was the Mishkan built of? What were the things that were, that were brought in order to, to, to bring the Mishkan into being this, this, this blueprint that Moshe received, which was the Tavnit, which was the picture of the heavenly temple. What did, what did the, the heavenly temple in order to bring it to earth and, and be a place of connection between the people and Hashem? It didn't fall from it didn't fall from heaven, guys. It it was shown in a vision, yes, but it didn't like it wasn't made out of things that were supernaturally just manifest in the earth, right? It wasn't named and claimed, it wasn't blabbed and grabbed like some of our prosperity doctrines would try to teach us. No, the people took what they had and 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 this article talks about how, you know, in the Midrash Moshe was like, "Oh, heck no, we're not using that. Those things were used to entice, you know, husbands and stuff. And we can't use that for this holy temple. And how, how Hashem kind of goes back and goes like, Hey, take it back a notch, Moshe. Like this ordinary stuff is going to be what, what the people's gift out of their own, their teruma, their own offering, their free will offering. This is what's going to be used to build my holy house, to build my sacred um, dwelling that I, you know, that I may dwell vishakanti, that I may dwell with the people And this idea of, of letting the the word of God, letting it elevate our, our mundane activities that we, we feel are mundane. And I just feel like some of this is kind of a repeat from last week. I get that, but it's where my headspace has been this last couple of weeks. Um, because here's the deal. Let's just kind of level it out that the, the, the church, the body of Messiah, the, the, what the kingdom, whatever you want to call it, um, we're not affecting the world. And I know I talked earlier about, you know, that idea between affecting the world, but if enough of us affected our own little piece, our own little corner of the world, we would affect the world at large. That's the irony. But we have a lot of people trying to affect the whole world and our own little worlds are falling apart around us. It's the story of a, you know, the story of a, a man or a woman that works to build a great company and her own family falls apart or his own family falls apart. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing. We've seen this in movies forever because it's real life. And so how effective are we being at, at impressing upon the world around us a higher law? And, a, and, and how effective are we being at bringing order to people's chaos? How effective are we at being, at being the shalom, the light in this world that we are called to be, that we're supposed to be? How effective are we at, at, at we, we can pray, we can pray the Lord's prayer, right? We can pray the model prayer, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we think that happens? God doesn't just do it because we wish for it. He empowers us to do it. And in order to do that, it doesn't come, it doesn't come only, only, by miracles and visions and dreams and prophecy. It doesn't come only by that. Those things are certainly a part of the package. My only point is to say that we've majored on on one part of the thing, but we've not but we've not allowed ourselves to to think about the just the average stuff that you do in everyday life. And as we said last week, going to the grocery store and smiling at the cashier or having a, some of the best quote unquote church I've ever had has been like in the produce section of Walmart, right? Those things are, those are the mundane things that we don't look forward to, that we don't think like, where is, where is God in this? Where, Where is God in me driving my kids to soccer practice or in my case, gymnastics or, you know, in your case, football or whatever it might be. Where, where is God in this? Where is God in washing the dishes and keeping a clean house? The Torah was given to elevate that all these things are a part of bringing order and bringing kingdom to our world, bringing the kingdom of heaven to our world. So for those Israelites in Jeremiah, who are in exile, I believe this is exactly what Hashem was saying. Hey, you want a big miraculous redemption? You want a big miraculous delivery from exile? It's not going to happen. What I want you to do is I want you to do the mundane stuff. I want you to be good, God-fearing image bearers right where you are. Build houses and plant gardens. Marry and give in marriage. I hope this week you can do some cool mundane stuff. Shalom, shalom.